Well, one of the things that we struggle with is that people see culture as the as a, as a de facto moral system uh, through which they can they determine right from wrong. So, so the culture basically replaces the Bible um, in terms of of being moral authority wow. over people's lives. So people justify behavior on the, on the basis that uh, their culture approves of it. Even if that behavior is is incompatible with scripture, even Christians do this. So I argue that was vehemently in my book that culture is a man-made system, and therefore human beings are sinners, and therefore humans who created culture could not create that which is free of the condition of sin. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Today on the podcast, we have Africa McClopy with us. And uh, I actually heard about Africa from my friends at YWAM Durban. Uh, He was recently speaking on leadership there. And so Africa, welcome to the podcast. So good to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Mm, thank you. And the listeners, yeah. Yeah, thank you for making the time. I know that you've had a, a full schedule and we've been trying to trying to find a space in the calendar. Um, yeah. I think by way of introduction, Africa, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Africa McClope? I know that you you obviously grew up in South Africa, Port Elizabeth, but but tell us a little bit about your growing up years and, and who you are. Well, I'm the only child of my mother who was a single parent. Um, and so that's much about my parenting. Um, my father I've never known, and my mother um, passed away. Uh, yeah, I was still young, uh, so I grew up without both parents. And then I got to meet Jesus um, in '96 um, in an outreach meeting as a young person and that obviously was the anchor of my life going forward um when everything else had had gone sideways and i when i after i met i met jesus i i then was plugged in the church um excited about what was happening in my life and the relationship with god and then in the midst of that i i, I sort of transitioned into ministry. I wasn't really the kind of person who heard the voice of God that you are called to ministry. I know people respond. They have different experiences. Mine was simply I began to serve in the church. Um, it was really a place of belonging. It was a place where I was finding fulfillment. And, and that's how really I, I came into ministry. And subsequently, I, I only did then, of course, it was post-metric, grade 12. Then I Studied um, only theology as I was already in ministry, so I, I then did part-time studies um, on and off for a number of years. Um, I think I probably the longest degree, as far as I'm, many people, I when I compare myself, I think it took me ten years because I was doing two modules and stop studying and continue again and stop, 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 and until I finished my degree and 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 now my masters, and so. I'm married with two children. My son is 13. My daughter is 10. Yeah, that's a bit about my life. 
Okay, that that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I I wondered as you were sharing, you said you you grew up um, without either of your parents. I, w- I was wondering what that was like for you. Well, um, my father never knew. So the, the impact of that is only something I would have felt later on. Mm. Um, when because my mother was present for from much of my formative years, that is until the age of thirteen. So. Um, so that the real impact really was felt on the passing of my mother. Mm. Most, most black South Africans are raised by the mothers anyway. So the, the, the greatest impact in parenting is when the mother is passed. The fathers are generally not present, so it doesn't become an issue. You only become aware of it when you're grown and you see the role of a father. Um, when you then learn later on some of the psychological impact and sociological impact of absentee mm. fathers. Um, and then you see the behavioral patterns that you have um, are also a byproduct of not having been raised by your father. So, but as you're growing up, you hardly become aware of it uh, because part of it is that it's abnormality, of course, but it's part of it is that most of your friends don't have fathers anyway. Right. So it doesn't become an issue um, that the fathers are present. When you grew up, grow, when you're more aware, aware now of things and you you become, that you see that it's actually abnormal. Okay. So when my mother passed, um, I was sifted um, between different people who became guardians, uh, shunted around, and different people took care of me, not because they wanted to, to be honest, because they had an incentive. My mother, um, for reasons I would not fully understand, left a lot of money. She saved and had policies and insurances, right. which made which made others therefore um, attracted to the idea of taking care of me, not for the right reasons. Right, right. And Africa, yeah. you know, for people listening, and we we got a, an audience uh, in different parts of the world. Mm. You, know, you you speak about some of the dynamics of South Africa there, and how yes. you know so many people grow up without fathers. Can you maybe yes. just give people an insight as to why that is the case and, and some of the impact that that then has on society? Yeah, so firstly, the only 35% of black South Africans are raised by their fathers. Um, and it's it, it gets to be more for other racial groups in South Africa. So there's a, so there's a racial um, thing there that affects uh, present fathers. And so you can tell that it's not um, pervasive, it's not everywhere. Um, but it does a, it does a scaling, so it gets lower amongst Black South Africans, and, and there's a reason for that. There's a historical reason where fathers in the past were shifted around to uh, migrant labor systems, right. where yeah. they worked in big cities and they left families behind, and 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 that also contributed to the idea that it's women who take care of children. But also there's a cultural paradigm. Uh, the culture is my culture is highly patriarchal. And uh, we manage just heads of families, but not in a practical sense. There's no emotional involvement. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a hierarchical structure in which men are not necessarily trained and prepared for the emotional connection. Even those who are present, mm-hmm. um, instances, the fathers are present, but they're present physically, often not, not so much emotionally. And then, and then there's a cultural issue where father, when men who makes a, a woman pregnant has to pay a penalty for that. And so some people can't afford that penalty. So they rather disappear. Wow. Instead of being present. So there are now number of the number of issues. But, but the whole thing of a nuclear family, um, it's not big because there's also polygamy, there's a number of things that contribute 
to the breakdown of nuclear family, one one wife, one 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 husband, and and children home. So when people are also used to polygamy, they are used to the idea of other people helping their wives give birth, midwives. They're not there, present. It's they don't think it's their role. In fact, it seems to be feminine, uh, to to be nurturing. So all of those things contribute, and and of course, and then another one is a high mortality rate around men. Um, an average South African man would live would live up to, would, would live around the age of sixty. That would be the average age, is sixty-seven for for a woman. So um, so women mortality men the mortality rate among men is higher. So I would say those things combined um, would be responsible for the situation. The social social impact, of course, is that stats have proven. Uh, that um, children were raised without their fathers. For instance, a girl, child, was raised without their father is four times likely to fall pregnant out of wedlock than a child whose father is pregnant. A boy is likely to end up in prison, likely not to finish high school, likely to join a gang. So the likelihood of a child's life uh, veering off into the wrong direction increase with mm. the fathers being absent. And uh, you know, you uh, have gone on now to write. You're you're a writer of a number of books, but this this issue and your experience within this has really led you to kind of a focus area within your work. One of your books is uh, "Freed by God, Imprisoned by Culture." Yes. Um, and so, for you, this this cultural issue, the the fatherlessness being one issue, but wow. other issues have really yes. become a gospel issue for you. Uh, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Well, one of the things that we're struggling with is that people see culture as the as a, as a de facto moral system uh, through which they can they determine right from wrong. So, so the culture basically replaces the Bible um, in terms of, of being moral authority over wow. people's lives. So people justify behavior on the, on the basis that uh, their culture approves of it even if that behavior is, is incompatible with scripture, even Christians do this. So I argue that was vehemently in my book that culture is a man-made system and therefore human beings are sinners and therefore humans who created culture could not create that which is free of the condition of sin. So culture is not sacrosanct; it's not uh, untouched by sin because right. it's created the human is a sinner. Right. And therefore, it is tainted by selfishness. It's tainted by uh, all kinds of issues. Whether we're talking about uh, cultural fascism or racism, we're talking about patriarchy, gender violence, um, a number of issues that that show that the impact of sin in culture. Therefore, it's impossible for me to accept the idea that something as broken as culture could be the source of my identity when I am made in God's image. I argue that a product is defined by its maker. And therefore, if I'm made by God, I ought to be defined by Him, mm-hmm. not by something else. Mm-hmm. Culture is man-made, and it can't define that which it did not make, which is a human. Mm-hmm. Humans who are made by God make culture. So culture, therefore, which is a prime product of humans, cannot define what humans who made it. You know, it is illogical for me to make something, the thing I have made, define me who has made it. Right. It just right. says that the, the Son of Man is a Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath is made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the same principle applies. Now, can we live without culture? No, we can't. As long as we're in the earth, we'll always be impacted by culture. 
culture is a way of life. So where, where we eat, the way we drink, what we, what we drink, how we speak, the language we speak, the clothes we wear, um, they are all part of culture. So I tell people, well, we can't be cultureless. The only, the only issue is not to be controlled by it. You can use it uh, for its purpose and its benefit, but we cannot be governed by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I also say that culture is you and I being governed by dead people. Um, ruled by dead people because you don't start culture, you only follow it. Culture right. started by, but followed by men. So those who start the culture rule over those who follow it, especially when they're unquestioning. Right. Very interesting. Now, I mean, that, that's got two kind of angles in our conversation here, Africa. One of them would be, particularly within a South African context, uh, mm-hmm. some of what you're talking around ancestral veneration. And you've also got this book, Christianity and the, and the Veneration of the Dead. Yes. Um, it's got that particular angle, but I think what, so I'd love for you to touch on that a little bit and give us some insights as to your ministry in that space and, and how you are helping young South Africans enter into something that's m- maybe more of a biblical culture. But then at the same time, you know, sometimes I speak to people who are maybe more of a, of a Western mindset or who come mm-hmm. from a place somewhere in Europe or something like America. And they mm-hmm. seem to think that, you know, they don't have those problems. Uh, yeah. perhaps because there's a, there's, a, there's a subtlety to that cultural influence. So yeah. if you could speak into that space as well, like where, where have we been culturally influenced from a, mm-hmm. you know, and I use the term Western loosely, but a Western mindset that is in opposition to the gospel. So, so something quite specific to South Africa in the African context, but then where are you seeing this on a broader scale as well? Yeah, well, it's always good to start from the, from the macro perspective and before you go to the micro. Right. So uh, the, the first place of departure is to accept the fact that culture is a man-made a social construct. It's not made in heaven, it's made on earth. And therefore, by virtue of that, it will always be affected by the condition of sin, whatever that culture is. But we are easier, it's easier for us to judge another culture and then to judge our own. Right. So we're able to see the sinful patterns in other culture much easier than we do see our the sinful patterns in our own cultures. And so the culture of the West is defined by mainly the idea of individualism, materialism, um, as which feeds into racial superiority. So what I explained is that racial superiority is not a uniquely South African problem. Mm. It's, it's a byproduct of Western culture because they define because civilization of the West is used as a parameter for success, as a as a, as, a, as a, so people therefore when they have imbibed um, the pedagogy, the civilization, the way of thinking of of, uh, of the West, they then think that they are superior. So I say the weakness of European culture, Western culture, is superiority, um, and it doesn't self-correct. So. And therefore, the, the weakness, okay, equally so, the weakness of African culture is idolatry. So, African culture, the weakness is that while it's communal and it promotes um, communal living and collectivists, but it also arrests individual accountability. Um, because in the West, the individual defines society, mm. in Africa, society defines the individual. Wow. So, they come from two different ends. If on that scope alone, um, conflict between these cultures is inevitable. Mm. And therefore, a, a Christian has to rise above that and understand the fact that as long as we're influenced by these two cultures, 
we would not fully be able to express and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ because it takes it, it the gospel of Jesus Christ expresses all these elements, but much more. It expresses the idea of individual accountability and that we are called alone. We are called by God, you're accountable to God for your own actions. That's in the gospel. We are called to repent, we are called to respond to God's word as individuals, not as groups. That's important. But we also called into communities. We are called to work with people. We are called to love one another. We are called to be kind to one another. We are called a body. You know, so that's again communal. So the, the whole thing is both of them is in the gospel, but there's still more that the gospel covers. So it takes therefore to look at the, these two things and say, okay, these cultures are expressing some parts of the gospel. All these cultures are expressing some parts of the gospel, but no culture fully expresses the gospel. Right. Therefore, to um, to take my culture as a full expression of the gospel is to, uh, is to, is to clearly reveal that I don't understand what the gospel is about. Right. And to also assume that another culture never expresses the gospel, is fully demonic, and, and, and has no elements of the gospel, is also to show how ignorant I am of the gospel. Mm. Yes. Because Paul says in the book of Acts that, you know, God, in every nation, God has revealed a part of himself that we, we may all feel after him. You know, he's made all of us the boundaries of our habitation and put us there. But for a reason why, that we, in our different uh, experiences in geographical locations, we may feel after him, though he's not far from each and every one of us. Mm. Yes, I love that. And and you you said something there at the beginning. There was quite interesting. You were saying one of the weaknesses of Western culture is um, individuality, which leads to a superiority that doesn't self-correct. Can you yes. unpack that thought a little bit? Why why is that the case? Yeah. Well, if if you look at if you look at what what because culture actually is expression of one civilization, right? So if you look at um, when you talk about civilization. Often we people are referring to material objects. They're referring to things that are created, buildings, um, roads, cars, combustion engine, and, and planes, and all of that. So they say, but this is what we did to make progress into the world. Therefore, because of that, we must be superior. And then there's for well, some time in the past where something called social dualism, the idea that some species are less evolved, some species of humans are less evolved because they couldn't do certain things. Mm. And so there was lie, of course, which was debunked by science, that people of the West are cognitively superior. Right. Um, that and all that. So all of these were part and parcel of the way of thinking in the West, that the natives in different parts of the world are backwards and they're uncivilized and we are here to civilize them. We're here to help them out of their barbarism and, and all of that. So the idea was that people of the West, whenever they travel in the world, they came with the idea of superiority, whether they were conscious of it or not. They came mm. with the idea of progress. We are progressive. We are ahead. But ahead of what? They define the game, they, which they then play by their own rules. So, of course, if you have a game you're playing and it's played by your own rules, you will be ahead of that game. Wow. If you define beauty in your own terms, you will always be the most beautiful race. If wow. you define success in your own terms, you'll always be successful. You know. Gosh, that's very that's a very interesting thought, there, Africa. Yeah. So, by, by by virtue of the fact that you have defined what the good is, yes. um, you can't be corrected in your own ignorance. 
No, it's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. And I think what I appreciate about what you're saying, Africa, is that you're not throwing stones here as much as you're just calling every culture to be aware of the fact that its container of existence is flawed. I think that's what I appreciate here. You're not saying the West is the bad person. You're just saying each culture has its own weakness and we need to acknowledge that. Yeah. And and that's, it's actually hypocritical for even African people to to, to demonize all of Western cultural system, whereas they they are fully ingrained and fully engrossed and benefiting from it. And I hear people say, talk about colonization, and, and, I'm, and I'm like, you can't fully decolonize the African continent, whatever, however you like. It's like asking me to uh, have him pour my sh- pour, pour coffee on a cup and, and put sugar and stir at it, and then take, mm-hmm. tell me to, to remove the sugar afterwards. Right. It's impossible. Right. The best you can do is add more coffee to, to minimize it and to, to limit the, the sugar if I put too much. But there's no way I could completely remove sugar in that coffee. So the reality is this. We have benefited from colonization. Um, we don't want, I, I don't know any person, I've asked people, would you rather not earn money in terms of monetary uh, money, like cash? Would you rather earn in different ways? Uh, would you rather um, live in an environment that is different from environment where there's cars, there's, there's houses? People say no. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the world is what it is. Whether we agree with that or not, it's westernized. And it's, and it's going that way, not at a full throttle, the full speed. Mm. Um, so the issue really is how do we use those things to our benefit and, and not, not allow them to imprison us? How do we become the owners of our gadgets and phones, not them possessing us, and, right. and use them when we are when we intend to or when we want to, and rather right. than them beeping all the time and, and governing our lives? And so similarly, therefore, it's it's, you know, when we look at our, when you, and anyone looks at their own culture, again, there's always this bias of, of seeing less of, of its faults than you do see the faults of cultures of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important for a person to always wear the, 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 the and to put the, uh, the vantage point of God and, and see it. Oh, no, it's perfect, of course, in doing that, but to do your best to, to see things from God's perspective and, and, and appreciate the fact that the people who created that culture are made by God. And therefore, there, there must be an element of God in them, however much is deformed by sin, but it is there. And therefore, no one necessarily brings God to people. We are simply an instrument that God uses to expose the God that is in people. Yes. So we're not yes. people's saviors. Uh, we are simply there to expose people to the divine that they already possess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Have you have you read that book called Peace Child? I think it's by Donald Miller or one of these guys. Have you read that? No, no, I haven't. A beautiful story. It's very similar about a, a missionary who goes uh, he goes into the jungle and um, finds a community there and is really struggling to communicate the gospel to them, and then has this idea that instead of looking for something external, he should look for something internal, and then yeah. he 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 finds within their culture a kind of redemptive practice or element, this idea of a peace child, uh, which yeah. is itself expressive of the gospel. Um, and yeah. so then he uses that and that becomes a, a cultural key or translator of the gospel into that community. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say is that in every gospel, every culture, there is brokenness and fallenness. But then in every yeah. culture at the same time, there is something redemptive that God yeah. has put there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
And so when you look at your culture, um, Africa, I mean, you were saying at a personal level, you, you find it difficult. The challenge is finding what are the elements that are redemptive within your culture. Um, yeah. what, what are some of those things when you look into your culture and you say, man, this is so of the kingdom? Well, the idea of being hospitable, the idea of being communal, there's, a, 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 there's, there's, there's a, um, a saying that says it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. Um, and so all the elements that, that pertain to caring for one another, the elements that pertain to valuing relationships over projects and time and, and, and all of that, um, and so being people-orientated rather than task-orientated, those are redemptive elements of African culture. Sharing resources, however minuscule they are, but making sure that whatever resource we have, we share together. Um, and, and, and those are natural elements of African culture, respect for the elderly. Those are natural elements of African culture. And right. you see the Bible says, stand up in the presence of an elder. And so it's easier for Africans as well to believe in God because the culture leans itself towards spirituality. Sometimes, of right. course, distorted. Um, because it's not materialistic, therefore it doesn't certainly need to have a phys- uh, empirical evidence of God's existence for mm-hmm. a person to believe. Um, so it's much less frequent in Africa to have people who are atheists than it is in the West. Um, right. Because the culture, the culture itself uh, doesn't define reality based on empiricism or, uh, or proven knowledge. Um, you know, So those are things that one can use. To, that's why the gospel African continent is the fastest growing place in terms of Christianity. Um, mm. Well, not maybe it's not as fast as, as Asia, China, but it's one of the fastest growing places uh, mm. for the faith. Yeah. Yes. And yet at the same time, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. Uh, I remember Michael Cassidy once said to me, uh, well, not, <laughs> not to me, I overheard him having a conversation while I was sitting at the table. Um, he said, uh, you know, Africa is one of the most over-evangelized but under-discipled continents. Um, yeah. And so the, it is what you're saying. The worldview lends itself to an acceptance of the gospel, but yeah. then the discipling of that gospel into the depths of the culture is not always mm. walked out. Would you agree with that? And, and what are some of your thoughts around that? Well, that's that's it. It's just, That's spot on. That's not very unfortunate um, because it's only discipleship that causes a person to leave out the gospel. It's not conversion. Um, yes. So Africa has a lot of converts. I call them fans of Jesus, but very few friends. Right. And so the difference is very is vast. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, verse, verse 2, he says, when he saw the multitudes, he went up the mountain, and his disciples followed him. Then he sat down and taught them. The question I always ask is, why did the multitudes not follow him up the mountain? It's wow. because they were not prepared to pay the price. They were not prepared to follow him to that level. They were only happy for him to come to them and give them what they wanted. Mm. And what they wanted. So discipleship goes further than that. It doesn't go to come to Jesus for what you need from him, but for who he is. Mm. And therefore, when you're a disciple of Jesus, it's very difficult to backslide and leave him. Because you speak like Peter. Where shall you go from you? Because from you flows the words of life. Right. So discipleship is the kind of thing that is, because it takes a lot of effort to disciple, even the preachers of the gospel don't do it. It takes sharing your life with somebody, spending time with them, teaching them the word. The Bible says, teaching them all things I've commanded you. 
And that's what Jesus actually asked of us. Interestingly enough, Jesus never asked of us to make converts. Mm -hmm. So the very thing that we are doing is not what we are commanded to do. We were told to go and make disciples. And that includes converting people to our faith. But it's not the main thing we asked to do. We asked right. to make disciples. Even you look at the gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I always I try and remind people that when you have a gift of, evangel of being an evangelist, you are not necessarily called to evangelize alone. The gift is for the equipping of the saints, mm. for the work of ministry. So mm. all fivefold gifts are not to shine and be prominent. They are there to spur the gifts that is in others and to steer mm. the church towards those direction of those gifts. And that's what you do when you disciple people. You will then teach them to do the stuff that God has called you or taught you or imparted. Paul says in Timothy 2 verse 2, the things you have heard of me impart them to others who then impart them to others. So it's supposed to be a continuation. Mm. And therefore it's true that many people have lifted up their hands, prayed a prayer of salvation, but very few of them have been grounded in what that means. That's why they easily can mix other belief systems into their faith in God. Mm. They can actually easily practice syncretism because they don't know what their faith is about. Wow. And to bring this conversation sort of full circle here, this is why everything we've been talking about around culture and our worldviews around these things, this is why it matters. Because if we are to follow Jesus, he is, yes. he is definitely going to challenge the cultures that we grew up in. And then yeah. we'll have a we'll have a question as to which one we have a higher allegiance to, you know. Yeah. So if someone growing up in a sort of a Western mindset, are, are we more committed to our individualism and personal progress than we mm -hmm. are to God's community vision of the kingdom? Mm -hmm. um, and then someone from your context, you know, are we are we more committed to the idolatry that we found ourselves in than to the renunciation of that uh, into Jesus as? as the true yeah. Lord. So would you agree with that, that, you know, we talk about these cultural things at a very high level, but they actually have very practical implication for our discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's Dietrich Behulver and Hoover who says, Jesus bids us to come and die. Right. Um, and so we didn't preach that gospel before. We told people to come and, and get from Jesus, to right. get their prosperity, to get their health, to get their joy, to get their happiness. We never told them to come and die. Therefore, they don't expect to come and die. They expect to come and leave. They expect Jesus to make life better for them and not to give their lives to him. Mm -hmm. So now we need to re-evangelize Christians mm. and introduce Christ to them afresh, the real Jesus, and mm. not the one who gave them. Um, you know, so, so we need to evaluate. It's true, the price that we, we all have to pay, but we pay a price um, if you do the proportion to which we see Jesus. In other words, you only let go of stuff to the degree to which you know you know what you you stand to gain. That's very your good. Eyes are close to Jesus. Uh, you know, putting Paul talks about this, forgetting what's behind. I press on. You can't press on if you don't see what you're pressing on into. Right. You know, if you don't see Jesus for who He is, you are not going to let go of what you possess. Wow. So the past has a hold of a person to the degree to which their future is unclear to them. Wow. Say that again. <laughs> so the past has a hold over a person to the degree to which the future is unclear to them. Wow. They don't have internal perspective. We yes. sing the songs about going to heaven. We sing the songs, but we don't have a personal revelation of what yes. it is that we're living for. That's why we want to make life good today, because we live for today. 
we wanna we busy on today. We busy on how do I in, make sure things are good today, because we like the eternal perspective. That's why the rich young ruler could not follow Jesus, mm. because when he was told to sell, sell everything and follow him, he went away sorrowful, because he thought Jesus is something else. He, he didn't understand it. And of course, one can 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 can, can take that script out of context and think Jesus is actually followed only by poor people. And that's not what Jesus was meant to that young ruler. He was mending issue of allegiance, as you were saying, priority. And because Peter asked the question thereafter, who can follow you then? If that's the case, if there's no one who's given father, mother, or anything like that, would not get a harvest or a return in this lifetime, uh, you know, but, 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 but with tribulations. So, so he wasn't necessarily calling people to be devoid or um, to disavow or to, to give out everything, but he wanted people not to be controlled by anything except his priorities. Brilliant. So good. And, you know, this is where you kind of say that if you could share something with people at the moment, it would be around their relationship with the scriptures. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I, you know, it's important for one of the things that we haven't done so well here in Africa is to get people to have a a, a continual and a systematic reading of the Bible. You know, so it's one thing I'm very fervent about now and, and, and passionate about is to get people to read the Bible for themselves. I mean, we are a generation that has more Bibles than any generation that ever lived, mm. but probably the most biblically illiterate as well. Right. I mean, we have billions of Bibles. Or the last time I checked, was over, was over 3 billion copies of Bibles sold. And it, that's listed in the Guinness World Book of Records. And, you know, certainly the Bible making this claim itself. It's the world's authority on, on records. Listen to the Bible as a best-selling book of all times. But how many people actually read it? So right. I have Bibles in different versions. We have Bibles on my phone, Bibles in all kinds of it. So we have more of the, the Bibles around us. But I doubt we read them. So to me... It's like because half of us, some people have perished because of lack of knowledge. So we need to, because how else can you avoid being deceived? It's to read, uh, you know, mm. and to know the truth yourself, like a chicken barrier. So one of the things that, of course, now literacy is not a very big thing in some parts of Africa. Um, but even when even the Bible is translated in, in, in the indigenous language, people don't necessarily read. So you have to create a culture of reading, mm. uh, which mm. unfortunately is already there in some part of Western society. And so the culture as well, the culture of inquisitive mind and critical thinking. Uh, so you have to inculcate critical thinking skills where people don't just accept something because somebody said it or somebody of authority. That's why false prophets proliferate um, in places where people are, are ignorant of the truth. Wow, right. Yeah. Fantastic. And again, you know, those false prophets um, don't look like what we expect them to look like. I think I'm just, you know, speaking from my own experience here, I'm currently on a bit of a social media fast. Uh-huh. And it's just amazing how even after just a few days of not having that trigger of scrolling the Instagram or whatever the thing is, how my mm-hmm. mind starts to clear. And it's like the truth of scripture finds a healthier place within me just yeah. because there's space in myself, you know. So, so this kind of uh, this false prophet space is not only the the caricature of some man on a stage in a fancy suit. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, all of us uh, in the world we live in today. Our ability to think critically, 
our, our ability to receive truth, our ability to say, stay fixed on the things of the kingdom. All of us yeah. are being compromised at, at many different levels just because of our digital um, access. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Look, we live in a world, uh, Matthew, where we are being dumbed down. People yeah. think, oh, we live in an information age. Well, we live in an age where attention spans are getting lower and lower. Mm. Um, and people don't even know how to read maps. People don't even know how to memorize. People don't even know how to commit. So what well, the Bible works well when people know how to commit things to memory. Mm. That's why, sadly, Islam is ahead of us. Because children wow. are taught at a young age how to memorize the, wow. Quran, the Quran. And ours, we have got a generation that has a, such a low attention span because everything about them is short bite videos mm. uh, and, and, and nuggets and, and, and all those kinds of things. They move from one thing to another. And our brains are being fried by that. And so we are not being we're not getting clever. You know, people think we are. No, we are not. We're actually getting dumber. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So we're getting yes, we get our stimulation, we get our, our dopamine high because we've got all these likes and all this um, st- stimulation that comes from social media. But you ask a person to read an article, you ask a person to read something substantial, they will not read it. They want it to be cut down into small bite pieces, and, and that's when they will read a little bit, and then they will not go further. So, therefore, it's I applaud you for taking that in uh, that step in your life. Mm. Uh, I probably should also try. <laughs> so, so we we therefore definitely we are in that space where uh, this social media behemoth that has taken over the world, um, although created by people who think, and they've done studies, of course, they've done they've done studies of the brain, they've studied our behavior, and have given us a product that works well with our predisposition to gratification and right. rewards. Right. But they are milking it for its worth. They're making billions out of it while we're getting poorer and poorer. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, such good thoughts, Africa. Um, if you had to leave uh, the listeners with one more thing, uh, so you imagine there's a bunch of people from all walks of life and different parts of the world, uh, what would what would one more thought be for you uh, as we close off our conversation today? So um, the, the key thing for me is is to know that whatever we possess, whether it's education, whether it's material objects, or whatever we have, cannot be more powerful than who we are. People are made in God's image. So what I have should never have preeminence over who I am. The fact that as a human being, with or without anything, I'm made in God's image. That's the highest value. Nothing yeah. can be more valuable than that. Yeah. And so to allow anything to deplete or to diminish the value I am in God, it's to be ignorant. So whether the culture is expressing itself in a certain way and, and I like certain things about it, it should never obscure the fact that with or without it, I have eternal value. That if Jesus, if I was the only one alive, Jesus would still come on earth and die because of how much value. The value mm-hmm. of a thing is determined by how much a person is prepared to pay for it. And for me, the ultimate price was paid. So when the culture then tells you, if you're not married, they're assigned to you a value. If you are, then they're assigned to you a value. If you're male, they're assigned to you a value. If you have a car, they're assigned to you a value. You need to, you need to dismiss all of these things because they're all incorrect and false. Wow. And derive value only in the one who made you. And then these other things are there just instruments to facilitate life, but they're not life itself. Mm. Brilliant. Thank you, Africa. I really appreciate your time.
Um, you've written a number of books. You've written Passion for Position. I think that's your most recent one. Uh, yes. Then you've got Christianity and the Veneration of the Dead and Freed mm. by God, Imprisoned by Culture. Where can people get a hold of these books if they're interested in reading more? Yeah, well, the best way is to give me send me an email okay. um, and, and direct a person to what platforms the books are available in. My email address is quite simple. It's info at africam. The important thing is to write Africa with a K, not a C. Right, yeah. Uh, info at Africa. M, M for mother, one word, small letters, .co.za. Okay. And you, also your website is africam.co.za. Yes, you could go exactly, there as well. Yes, that's my website as well, yeah. Okay. And all those of links I'm will available, be... I'm available on all the social media platforms. Fantastic. And uh, all those links will be in the show notes, guys. Uh, I hope that this was a helpful conversation. I think really important thoughts here. And I would just encourage you even maybe to go back and listen because it is so true that all of us, to a degree, are held captive by our culture and that discipleship in Jesus is going to ask us to lay down some of those idolatries, whatever they look like, in order yeah. to walk more fully into his kingdom culture. So um, thank you, Africa. Appreciate you. And uh, everybody else, we will see you. <laughs> I'll be in your ears on the next follow-up podcast episode. Until then, have a good one.